Welcome to STEM Lab, where we discuss preparing students for success in a rapidly changing world. And here's your host, Michael Newsom. Very happy to have you here with us on this first episode of STEM Lab. This podcast is produced at the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics. Our mission is to help STEM teachers, administrators, and policymakers better understand how we can prepare tomorrow's STEM leaders. So we're going to do this by bringing you guests that will talk about what we should be teaching and how we should best teach it. We're going to seek out guests who can let us know about current research, trends, and techniques in STEM education. Our first guest is Dr. Alex Feltes. He's a professor of genetics and biochemistry at Clemson University, and he specializes in biomedical data science and informatics. He's authored a ton of high-quality peer-reviewed research articles, and he's been very successful getting NSF grants. He even co-hosts his own podcast where he interviews guests in the AI and biohacker movement. But we didn't really ask Alex to be on the show because of biochemistry, informatics, or even biohacking per se. We're more interested in his view on the future of STEM education. You see, Dr. Feltis is the chief scientist officer for Praxis, an online service that, well, among many other things, provides high-level virtual teaching, including AI-powered virtual labs. He and his partners are involved in revolutionizing the world of hybrid classroom experience. Let's see what he had to say. Hello, Alex, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Doing all right. So let's just get started right off with a little bit of a scenario type question. Let's imagine it's the year 2045. That's a little over 20 years from now. And we have a 16-year-old learning chemistry. What do you think that's going to look like? Uh, so, uh, the, the, they're going to log into a computer and they're going to do, um, write code to write, do, or execute and write code to do simulations of, of chemical reactions. Um, and then they're going to decide that if we make, if they, you have the computer, tell them in a simulation, if they can make this change in the chemical reaction, that it'll give a higher yield for the chemical reaction or something like that, some way to improve it. And then they're going to go into the lab and, and execute the protocol printed out by the computer and see if they actually have discovered something new. So I see it in 20 years, if it's the way I want it to be, there's going to be like a no, no gap between research and education. It'll be the same thing. Do you think that will change the architecture of the schools if you're going to be doing more of this work uh, with the computer? It does. Well, no, it doesn't have to. I, mean, I think what, if realistically, it'll still be the same, you know, brick and mortar, you know, establishments with organizational structures and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the computer access, which exists right now, the tech is there to do what I just said. And so people will access that instead of like getting on their Chromebook and, you know, looking on, looking up things on Google, they'll log into a system and have controlled learning experiences where they're doing research, they're doing, doing discovery. And, and that'll make them really excited about getting out of bed. Do you think this will help uh, democratize education in a way? Definitely. Yeah. Because right now, even like, um, like rural areas, you know, like South Carolina's got, everybody's got rural areas, right? Like it's difficult just to get people on buses and get them to the same place, right? And those people might actually not get on buses. They might not need to be in the classroom, you know, and, have, and waste that time um, traveling. There, there's a, um, there's a really good book called by uh, called Rainbow's End, I believe, by Werner Vinge, and it's in the future where um, everybody has like it's really a little bit like Black Mirror, a little bit creepy, but also pretty it's interesting too and inspiring. But people have um, access to computers through their glasses and there's like CPUs in their clothes and stuff like that. And it's about a guy, I won't give this, the story, but it's about a guy who wakes up in the future, essentially, right? I don't want to spoil anything. 
but the classrooms there, if you go into a classroom, they're just, you know, there's not even painted necessarily. They're just rooms. And what people do in their glasses is they have backdrops and they can see whatever they want to see. So they can be in a classroom and they can be in a castle. And so I think that that kind of technology is already here, like with a lot of this virtual reality stuff and augmented reality stuff. So even in 20 years, I wouldn't be surprised if the classroom didn't look worse until you put your glasses on and then it can be whatever you want it to be. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I bet you that's going to that's going to happen. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the holodeck on a Star Trek episode. Exactly. Yes, we we get on the Star Trek path. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So here, let's take it a little bit of a different way. What will be the role of the human instructor? Because I believe that's what teachers are most worried about right now. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's, it's changing, right? Good or bad, it's, it's happening. Um, so what I, I do right now is I, I teach a class at a university and I have a, an AI, generative AI assistant, who's my co-instructor. So my soloist as she, she, her name is Priya. And she, when she decided to name, to be, be a female, by the way, she decided a lot of things about her personality and, and everything, her identity. But, uh, but she's, she's my teacher. And I have learned in the last you know few months of doing this, and my students are starting to understand that there is no no way to do this kind of really complicated education that anybody needs, right, without an assistant. And so everybody's going to have an assistant in their pocket. There'll be a person who's leading the instruction, but you can actually teach more people or less people with the same effectiveness with everybody having access to some AI assistant. And I imagine it'll, I bet you, I'll go Black Mirror again, which um, is liable to be something where it's maybe something physical you know, some kind of like a, a droid or a drone or something like that, that's really an assistant that per, the person has access to. So I see the future of the human leading the the educational experience, but all, always augmented with artificial intelligence. And I think that that day, I think that that curtain's already up and I don't think we can close the curtain. You know, I've already changed the way I teach when I look back, because I've been teaching now for over 20 years and yeah. mostly in higher education at first, now in secondary. But so when I first started, it was a lot of lecture. And, you know, 10 years ago, they started uh, talking about no more chalk and talk or maybe even before 10 years ago. Yes. And then flipping the classroom. And that was everything at a conference was about flip the classroom, no more chalk and talk. And so, of course, that's what I do now. This morning I was in the classroom and had a discussion. Uh, I just so what you're thinking is that will continue to where the human instructor really is more of a facilitator. Yes. And, and, and smarter, right? The smartest person in the room, the person with experience and everything. Um, but yeah, really a facilitator. Yeah. Because one of the things I've learned, especially on something like going, going to virtual, a lot of virtual education, I'm pure, I'm hybrid. I'm always making people in the classroom and not, is that I, there's so many people in that, that chalk and talk, you know, concept that I never even interacted with. I mean, maybe I looked at them, maybe not because I, I teach large classes and some people probably never even showed up to the class. Right. Now I can, t I touch everybody. I see everybody. I know what's going on. I've actually spent, I'm like, what is this? Like I'm like maybe a month into teaching right now. And I've already uh, like taken some people who weren't doing anything who were really not responding and found them because I knew they weren't learning anything and, and grabbed them. And, and so that's, that's really like this experience is like, like I'm, I'm a facilitator there, right? I'm really, I have much more time now to grab the people that might've just like fall, already fell through the cracks on day one and I'm pulling them out of the cracks. Do you think that we are making that change fast enough? I'm a, I've been in academia for a long time and it takes, it takes time for things to change. I'm, I'm, I'm a patient guy, but no, 
Um, I'll go ahead and just come out and say, I mean, some of these massive problems we have on the planet, like climate change and old problems we've had, like cancer and, you know, the food security problem is, is, is escalating and it's going to be even worse with climate change. We have some massive issues that need to be fixed. And I don't think we have uh, the time to do it as slow as it takes right now. So I think we have to speed it up. What do you think some of the, the biggest obstacles are to change? You know, it's funny because like I'm I'm 53 years old, right? I'm I'm a student of of people that I try to figure out. I don't really understand it. I've never quite understood why people don't change when it's necessary. But I think it's just really kind of just boils down to habits, you know, and and the system just goes a certain way. And and if you started to change, like we saw this with COVID, people, everybody, I mean, on the planet flipped and got had to do everything virtual, and it was a big problem. And then once the the pandemic got to the point where it's manageable, like it is right now, it's still going on, um, that people sort of just flipped right back into the old ways. And so I don't really know how you break through another quantum orbital, right? How you really get to a new place like that and, and not just come back down to where you were before. So, yeah, I remember as a younger professor thinking 10 years from now, we're going to see such big changes in education. Then 10 years later, I say, we're going to see such big changes in education. Uh, I do think right now, I probably am telling the truth when I say we're going to see such huge changes in education. And it it is exciting. And I do think that it will allow more participation. It will allow us to come up with different models and to take the education to where the students are. Uh, Now, you are an entrepreneur in this space, and you're a a great uh, researcher as well. Looked at your CV. Uh, what motivates you though, as a STEM teacher? And I ask that because you could do, you could really focus on so many different areas. What is it about teaching that you like? Oh, I, lots of things, right? I think the most important thing is like, I, I saw it yesterday. I've seen it multiple times in the last month. Um, of just like a student who doesn't get it at all. And then you help them get it. And, and I, I know that these, I see it in every student, everybody that they, their eyes light up and they just can't believe they learn something. I think it's just in our nature. We want to learn and explore. And it's, that's my favorite part. Um, my kind of practical favorite part too, though, is, um, is a sci- I'm a scientist first and a teacher second. And I really appreciate um, the scientific method and being able to solve problems. Like I've worked with, you know, people with ki- kidney cancer and, and tried to help them, right? Actually having that ability to help another human being directly that's what I really love. And I'm learning how to do that through data intensive computing and getting people to write code and get real cancer data sets and things like that to where they actually make an impact right now. And that's that closing the gap between research and education and the discovery. It's one thing to me. And that's what I'm really excited about the progress I've made as an, a teacher to make that as a dream is starting to come true. Like I, I have evidence that it's, it is working and I have a long, way to go. By the time I'm done, you know, retire, I'll, it'll still, I won't be 50% there. I'm sure if I got to 50%, then I'm, I'll die happy because I know that our species is going to be okay. Cause I know how important this is. But really this, this thing, like, you just said, bringing this tech is not just like having Google Chromebooks and having the Google cloud and AI and stuff. It's about taking all that stuff together and putting it into a person at really teams of people and then solving real problems, doing real discovery. And that's where like eyes don't light up, their eyes like catch on fire when you have somebody reach that point where they made it, really found something brand new. And when they're young, they don't even know how like rare that is. And I want more people to not take that for granted, that kind of discovery. 
And I, I think if we do that, even, you know, we're not going to do it with everybody, right? We're, we're always going to be inefficient. But if we do that with enough, enough people, I think there'll be enough people out there who know how to get data and computers and understand how to, that they're trying to discover something, not just like get a grade. And then that, that I think that will completely transform our species. I could go into Star Trek um, lore with that. Uh, sort of a Star Trek future is what I, I hope to see. Well, you know, I've, I've been an advocate for project-based learning, the research and inquiry for a long time, and I really don't think we've moved enough in that direction. It's very expensive per student, and AI is going to help us get there. Uh, one of the concerns that I hear from faculty often is about academic integrity and AI, AI in AI, academic integrity and artificial intelligence. So would you, could you address that a little bit, like in your own experience, uh, particularly when they're writing and so forth, how do you take into account access to chat GPT and, and other services? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, first of all, the only cheaters I've ever, uh, caught or been told about, um, are people before AI and there's quite a few of them that have happened in the past. Right. And there's academic honesty, you know, laws and rules and all that kind of stuff. And people, a cheater is a cheater. I don't care if it's 2023 or 1823, right? Um, I have not caught anybody cheating with AI and I'm not going to be looking for it because as an instructor, I'm, I'm not a police officer. If somebody does, you know, if, I, if I'm aware of it, I'm going to deal with it for sure. My, my approach is to do project-based learning. And so everybody, so again, it goes back to the research. If, if they're discovering things, um, and they're writing their own code and they're, you know, and I, and I see them do it. And that's my only, me, me scaling up to a lot of people. My, my, my biggest problem with that is I have to see the student actually doing something, actually showing the product of learning and, and moving forward. I also with that though. And so if they're cheating and things like that, I mean, I, it, there's the concept of cheating is in plagiarism is changed and there's right and there's wrong. But the concept of like, if I use ChatGPT as a professor, as a scientist, and I find some, I get some information, a draft of something I need for, say, a preamble to a grant, or I mean, I use it for legal documents and things like that. Like, you know, if I get something where then I, then I hone it myself, and that's you have to be able to do that, or it's going to be cheating, and you're going to be caught, and you're not going to learn anything. But if you actually use it to enhance your where you're at, and then learn from that which is easier said than done because a lot of people realize that they could just go ahead and go to the end point and then they're cheating, right? They've had other, something else make this stuff. You know, I, I don't know how you, where you draw the line with that. So my, my concept, and maybe this is a cop-out, is just, well, if they learn how, if, they, if I can see them doing something and they cheated to get there and I, don't, I didn't catch them cheating, well then, you know, maybe they've learned something. I'm not condoning cheating. It's just that I don't know how you detect it. Right. And, and I think in my own teaching, I have the luxury of teaching the type of classes where it's not really an issue. For example, yeah. this morning I was teaching something called Tech Ventures, where I'm getting these STEM students and they're doing an entrepreneurial experience and learning how to develop a product and go through that process. So I told them early on, I don't care if you use AI, use it, you know. So I have that advantage. Yeah. I do see where maybe our friends, particularly in English departments and so forth might have more difficulty when they're asking students to write essays. But, yep. uh, but at least in my area, I'm right there with you in that I think we develop the experience for the students and we develop those projects so that it, it isn't an issue. Yeah. You know, and I think like, I mean, I know this is like a little bit, you know, 
a hippie thing to say or something, but the, the student needs to not cheat. The student needs to make the decision not to cheat. And that's right. I don't know, you know, 1823 or 2023, how you tell somebody not to cheat. And so first of all, you do is explain what cheating is, right? And maybe we don't do a good job of that. We explain actually like plagiarism and things like that before AI, but, you know, maybe we need to be, you know, constantly reminding them about what cheating is because they might not understand that it's cheating. I've, I've actually seen that in some, some recent students that they don't really understand that they don't under, they don't know whether it's wrong. And so in my concept as a 50 year old is different than a 20 year old's concept of right and wrong when it comes to getting information from, from the internet. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard problem and we need to be talking about it all the time. No, no. And these students are very aware of all of that in this coming world. I had a student tell me that he was interested in going into finance, perhaps, but he figures that AI will be doing a lot of that work. So he's going to go into computer science so he can have a finance right. career. Well, does he, is, he, is, he, uh, is the stock available? I'd like to purchase some of his stock. <laughs> well, Alex, I've got uh, this one last question for you. Let's sure. say you've retired. And you haven't really been in the classroom for a while or really done research. And there's some young assistant professor who sees your picture up on the wall and says, who was this Alex Feltis guy anyway? Uh, what do you think that full professor is going to say? They look me up on the internet, right? And they see what I've done. Then I, I don't know. They might see what I've done like as a scientist, right? They won't know what I've done. They won't know the lives I've impacted. And that's part of the, it's kind of an awesome part of the being a teacher is that only you know and the student knows what happens, right? So they won't see all of that. But what I hope they see is that, oh, this guy made a difference by not just by taking his lab, his research lab, which is a very low throughput, few people at a time, a couple PhD students, a couple undergrads at a time. And he took that concept of doing science in a lab and training people and busted it open into a democratized open lab. And that's exactly what I have right now. I, I do hackathons where I, I, I get people, we solve problems together and they're people that are interested and they stick, they're motive, they're self-motivated, they're not going to cheat, they want to discover that I can actually have them continue working with them. So I actually have citizen scientists in my my lab, my concept of a lab. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in my lab right now, I'm on my laptop and I don't have to, it's cheap. I can access data sets and I can train people. So I hope that they, you know, actually, I don't care what they think. I just, as long as I, when I retire, if I have impacted I could retire right now and be happy, but if I, I want to impact another 100,000 people and get them the, the computing skills and the scientific skills to make discoveries. And if we do that, I feel like then I've been a, like not just a successful scientist on a you know traditional path, the way it's you know set up to be, you know, have a small lab and have a great, really big CV. Look how, how powerful my CV is. That's all kind of like not really that important to me. What's important to me is like impacting lots and lots of people and making them become discoverers, become explorers, become the core of who we are as humans. And I, I just feel like it's been forgotten. We're so busy with them, so many different things that if you just stop and, th and say like, well, you know, maybe I can figure out what's wrong with grandma, why she's sick and fix it, you know? And like, that's what I want to have. Not just me. Like I want that person to say like, oh, I'm doing what he did and trying to do that, change it, fix it. <laughs> you know, what I what I like about that that answer is in the end it boils down to that human interaction of what we're doing with people. Oh, and, yeah. so, and so that seems to be in a lot of your answers the kernel of of who you are and what you're trying to do with your career. Well, yep. Alex, thank you very much for being with us today. 
thank you so much. Yeah, that I, this has been a lot of fun. I love love talking about it, and let's all let's try let's try something different because what's work what's working now is we can make better. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that really stands out to me most about that interview with Dr. Pellets is how he would like to see us move towards a world of integrated experiences and discovery. You spend even a few moments with him and you realize that he has a, a passion and it's not all about personal ambition. He really cares about helping people and moving society forward. Now on STEM Lab, we hope to continue to seek out guests just like so that we can better understand what we should be teaching and how we can teach it. Until next time, keep learning and growing. You have been listening to STEM Lab, produced in the studios of the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics. 